Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, the independent, scrappy, underdog Star Trek podcast that you probably heard about. I'm one of the co-hosts. My name is David Majors, and I am joined by my fantastic co-host, who will remind you to never apologize for being nerdy, Miss Heather Kirby. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Oh, it feels like it's been a while but you know what i really needed this today because like this was my motivation to get out of bed on a sunday yeah, no kidding. <laughs> to walk the like five feet from my bed to the desk to record with you so i did something today you're we welcome. Are winning already <laughs> <laughs> happy to help happy to help however i can uh so i don't know if you know this or not heather and and listeners but there's a lot of things going on with the Star Trek franchise right now. I, I don't know if you've heard that or not. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Well, I'm glad you're here because I will enlighten you and our dear listeners out there as to what everything is happening in the world of Star Trek. And Heather and I will be more than happy to guide you along. And if you like what you hear, give us a follow on Twitter at Prom Trek Pod. That's Prom trek t-r-e-k pod and uh let us know in long form if you so desire promenade trek pod at gmail.com i dig the emails i'll read them i'll respond and and especially when we talk about our first bit of business for the show uh if you're a new listener to the podcast we kind of do this in three segments where we start with the old business which is kind of talking chatting a little bit about classic star trek and that can include anything up to and including the cage up to the kelvin movies more or less which i guess we're, we'll be adding one more of those in the future but everything from the cage to the kelvin movies and everything in between uh new business we'll get into a little bit later where we talk about what's happening in star trek right now and and there's a lot there's a lot and and then upcoming business, where we look beyond, pun intended, to talk about what Star Trek might have in store for us in the future. There's a now, lot there, too. <laughs> there really is. There really is. We're going to have plenty of content, Heather. We're going to have plenty. Uh, but let's jump in with old business. Now, uh, not going to spoil it, spoil it yet, but in the season finale of Star Trek Discovery... There was a cameo, a big cameo, cameo that got the entire internet talking everywhere. Everyone was talking about this cameo. And I, I asked Heather, and, and I would love to hear from all of you out there. Please let us know. Um, I, I started thinking about guest appearances in the Star Trek franchise, guest stars that are famous and, and notable in their own right. Uh, and Heather, I wanted to ask you and, and everyone out there, uh, who were some of your favorite Star Trek guest cameo appearances? And you have to pick one other than Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that, that's, uh, this might not, I mean, there's honestly, there's a lot of different ones to choose from, but, and this might not be the most, uh exciting answer but i think my favorite uh like guest appearances 
in Star Trek uh, that definitely fall in TNG. And it has to do with uh, TOS actors coming back to the series in TNG. And I like, I think those are the ones that really stick in my head. And I remember because especially there's a huge time difference between when the original series aired and when the next generation started airing. And I think they're just more important and more meaningful to have those same actors playing the same characters that they played in TOS that showed up on this series that is set almost a hundred, at least a hundred years later. At least a hundred. So I, I think that's really cool and really important and helps tie the Star Trek universe together because I mean, if we look at the the series from the nineties, like uh, TNG, deep space nine Voyager. I mean, they all really came one right after another, right after another. Uh, so there wasn't really a, a huge difference between uh, when one stopped and the other one started uh, like there was between TOS and TNG originally. So to see uh, D. Forrest Kelly as Bones in the premiere of TNG, a counter at Farpoint, was just incredible. It's such a wonderful moment to have him there on the ship just talking about the Enterprise and so much love for it. Um, to see- It really was, in a lot of ways, a, a passing of the torch from the Star Trek cast that people had known and grown acquainted with for 20 years prior to this new cast. And that was very, very touching and and very heartfelt. And I definitely get where you're coming from. Oh yeah. I, I I mean the episode with Scotty and uh, James Doohan playing Scotty was just, uh, it's really an incredible episode but it, it it's also an episode that gives you a reminder that you need to kind of respect your elders and where they came from. And then, of course, Leonard Nimoy showing up as Spock in Unification is just absolutely mind-blowingly so excitingly wonderful. Um, yeah, it, just having those connections from the original series, I think, is what really made... Uh, those different moments in TNG really special. Great choices, Heather. And and Star Trek is great when it loves Star Trek, when it appreciates its own history and its own universe and its own lore. I think that is something to be celebrated. And fans celebrate that too, obviously, where you have all of these callbacks and appreciation for history and continuity. So I I can definitely appreciate that. I think we're getting a lot of that now, especially with Star Trek Picard, how the franchise really isn't running away from the history that it built and it's embracing it. And you get that with Lower Decks as well, uh, even if it's more of a comedic tone. Uh, you yeah. get Star Trek that appreciates Star Trek, and that's great. I went completely off the grid with mine. <laughs> completely off the grid, because I started thinking about characters and episodes that really really stuck out to me and i came down to three 
Uh, one from Voyager, one from TNG, and one from DS9. Uh, the one from The Next Generation was BB Newarth, uh, best known as Lilith Crane from Cheers and Frasier. Uh, she had a guest role in an episode of TNG called First Contact, where the Enterprise D arrived at a planet, uh, and Riker was doing sort of pre-first contract, first contact, uh, investigation and information gathering, and he got injured. And first contact did not go as well as they might have hoped. However, BB North's character, Linnell, worked in this planet's space department. And by the end of the episode, she requested asylum to stay aboard the Enterprise, even though the leader of this planet said to Captain Picard, yeah, we're not ready. We're, we're not ready to be a part of the larger universe yet at the end of the episode. So first contact was put on hold. But Linnell, B.B. North's character, said, I want to stay on the Enterprise. I want to explore space with them and seeing someone in a role that big and at the time uh in the 90s uh bb newarth was pretty big for the time again she was on cheer she was on fraser so yeah that that one was a big deal at the time another one for me was from voyager and i realized that this is kind of a, a long time personal favorite episode of mine and the guest star is actress Lori Petty. Uh, she played Tank Girl. And she played, uh, she was in A League of Their Own and Free Willy and Point Break. So, and she's had a pretty long, great career so far. Uh, I, I've been a fan of hers for quite some time. And I think what really, what really struck me was what, really got her attention my attention with her was this episode of star trek voyager uh and this episode was called gravity do you remember this episode heather i do yes okay this was the episode where tuvok and tom paris were stuck on a planet that had some sort of time space gravity issues where time was moving faster time was moving slower and it was tough for them to get off the planet and they encountered this alien played by Lori petty who took a liking to tuvok and at the end of the episode while tuvok told her he's married wife and kids back home he appreciated her her in his own way they did a mind meld she he gave the vulcan salute and they seemed to depart on good terms but this was the one with Lori petty where i was really like oh who's she and then i i started checking out her career and then at the time i realized wait she was tank girl and, and yeah that was pretty cool did you ever see tank girl heather uh, you know, I honestly, I have not actually watched Tank Girl, but I have seen her in A League of Her Own and Free Willy and, and the other movies you've mentioned. So, yeah. And uh, she was fantastic in Orange is the New Black, which is a more modern one, too. But, and uh, yeah. what, what's the, Station Eleven. She's on Station Eleven, too. I really like that show, Station Eleven. It's really good. 
Um, Tank Girl, Heather, and for the listeners, it is super duper 90s. It is based on a comic book that is super duper 90s, but it is a lot of fun. Like, if you, if you take Mad Max and make the protagonist a woman, you'll pretty much get Tank Girl. That's kind of how it goes. But it's, it's fun. It's very 90s, but it's very fun. Awesome. Uh, my third, uh, this one might be a little more obscure to some of our listeners, but to me, it was very, very big. And that was, and not just of the actor who played it, but the fact that I really liked the character in DS9. And this was first Ometiclon, the Jem'Hadar uh, general, who was played by Clarence Williams III. Um, who was probably best known as Link from the Mod Squad. He also played the Devil in Tales from the Hood, and he was also the legendary Samson Simpson in Half-Baked. So this one particularly, um, not just the fact that it was Clarence Williams who had all of these great roles that I absolutely loved, but Ometiclon, the Jem'Hadar, uh, from the episodes that he appeared in in DS9, where DS9 and the Gem Hadar had to work together, and then there were uh, other episodes with the Gem Hadar and the the crew of the Defiant, and Ometiclon was this very stern, very serious Gem Hadar general, but he was not like a soulless killing machine. He actually cared about the people under him. He understood what it meant to be a leader. And and he had a, a weird commonality with Captain Sisko, uh, despite them being on opposing sides of the war. And I thought that was a really great character. And it was played by uh, a fantastic actor, in my opinion, in Clarence Williams III. Yep, that, 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 that's definitely one I did not know any of the references you <laughs> listed there. But that's you okay. I mean, that's not- the fun part of like talking about celebrity guests and, 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 uh, the different, knowing the different roles that they've played and things like that. So, yeah. And, and he was a fantastic character in Deep Space Nine, definitely. Before we jump into new business, I have to ask this, Heather. Since since you didn't recognize any of those, not even half baked, Heather. No, I'm not a big comedy. I'm guessing that's a comedy. Yes, yes. Uh, half baked was uh, in 1998. This was like the first big break for a few different comedians: uh, Jim Brewer, Harlan Williams, and uh, this was also co-written by Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan. And this was like Dave Chappelle's first big break before you know everything else. Uh, but this was like his really first big break, and it's a it's a hilariously stupid movie. Yeah, I, I'm not a big comedy fan. Like my taste in comedy movies is more towards. Movies that were probably made before I was actually born. <laughs> so uh, th- that's where my taste in comedy movies fall. Uh, like uh, National Lampoon's Vacation Movies, Animal House, Caddyshack, Stripes, like Bill Murray, John Belushi, Chevy Chase. Sure, sure. So, yeah. I always liked the Blues Brothers. I always enjoyed those mm. movies. I knew there was one I was forgetting. Yes, the Blues Brothers is legendary. 
Yeah. Yeah. Half baked. Great movie. Uh, if, if you are familiar with it at me, call me DJM. We can go back and forth on quotes from half baked all day. <laughs> Let's move in to new business, Heather. And for a while, we have been blessed with getting two episodes of Star Trek every Thursday for the last couple of weeks, but that has reached its conclusion with the finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. I would really like to just talk a little bit about this season finale, and then we can can talk a little bit about Season 4 as a whole. Okay. Um... This episode, I feel like, and I was actually talking with uh, Bill over at Trek Geeks about this, I felt like it was an okay finale. I think it tied up pretty much everything pretty well. I think that uh, the one thing that Bill and I did agree on was book. And a recurring gag here on this show is my belief that eventually book's going to die. I said it in season three. I did not say it this season out loud, but I was kind of leaning towards is I think book's going to die this time. (laughs) But he didn't because uh, in this episode, uh, there was a transporter issue getting him off of his ship that had been overtaken by Ruan Tarka. And his transporter signal was lost, but the 10C found it and brought him back. And then later on, the president of the Federation, President Rillick, uh, told Michael Burnham that he's going to be under Federation supervision, helping other planets and other people that have had, the, that have been displaced by the DMA. So I felt like pretty much everything was resolved. We got the, we got to see the 10C and they were very interesting. Uh, they found a way to communicate, which was really cool. Um, I think Tarka's ending was fine. I'm going to talk a little bit about Tarka later. Just, just my take, but I feel like, I feel like there should have been something bigger that could have happened with this season it, it it just felt like everything kind of wrapped up very easily and very very tightly in a nice little package and with everything that was going on it felt like it felt like there were no stakes in the end it just felt like this was an adventure and everything was solved and i thought eh, well okay but overall i liked this season a lot heather how about you Okay, so here's the thing. I agree with what you said there, but that's why I absolutely loved the season finale. Um, I loved it because I think this was the first, the first season finale in four seasons where it didn't feel like, you know, the fate of the entire galaxy was hanging in the balance with what they did. You know, it it was just, it, it was something they needed to accomplish, and they did it in a diplomatic way rather than a huge pew-pew space battle way. And it was refreshing to me to watch that. It really was. And, and so, like I said, I, I understand the points you brought out there, but that's exactly why I loved it. Um, I, I just, yeah, 
it 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 did feel like everything got wrapped up in a tiny little bow and i do kind of agree with the the point of it would have hit harder or differently if book had actually died uh but i understand not wanting to kill him off uh because ultimately michael deserves to be freaking happy we've said this over and over again for th- three seasons of stuff michael deserves happiness she really does after everything she's been through and so to kill book off after she finally found happiness with him like no they're on a longer journey of really growing and developing their relationship more and and so as as much as i agree it would have hit differently and harder if book had actually died um, I'm glad he didn't. Uh, so yeah, I, I can understand some of the comments and the, the criticism that uh, Bill had because I saw the conversation you had with him and some of the comments you brought up right here too. But it, maybe I'm crazy, but that's just why I loved it. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that's fine. It. That is okay. Um, I am fine with book being around um i talked about how much i loved david ajala's performance this season uh almost every episode so far uh i think he and wilson cruz uh both put on acting masterclasses this entire season as did sonequa martin green uh who who is never anything short of fantastic i thought that the way they resolved the issue with the 10c was fantastic and it was and and i don't like saying this very often but it was very star trek how they did it it was absolutely this was in a lot of ways exactly the kind of thing you would expect from the crew of the enterprise d or the crew of the voyager and it was it was very star trek in that regard and I firmly believe that the people making Star Trek Discovery absolutely get it. They 100% get what Star Trek is and what it's supposed to be and what they're trying to do. And I think that there were some really outstanding episodes in this season, Heather. Um, one for me was episode five, The Examples. Absolutely loved this episode. It was kind of a standalone episode in the larger story arc, but I feel like the examples could have been a TNG episode. I, I just think that one was brilliant. Uh, Heather, what were your, some of your favorite episodes from season four? Um, honestly, the one that really stands out to me that I connected a lot with was Stormy Weather, um, which I think was episode six or seven. I forget which one, but. Uh, it, it, it was just an incredible, beautiful, uh, coming of age story, especially for Zora and for Michael as a captain. And I really enjoyed watching it unfold, uh, throughout that entire episode. It was really moving and touching for me that that one really stood out to me. I really liked Stormy Weather and the episode following, but to connect as well. Um, for the reasons you mentioned with Zora, and as someone who was a little skeptical of Zora, 
I appreciated the fact that they had a dissenting voice in Commander Stamets who brought up the points of not necessarily being so implicitly trustful of Zora right away, but coming around to it. And I thought that was really well done because sometimes it's okay to have a little bit of skepticism. And I thought they played that very well. I think that this entire season had a lot of really good science fiction that they did a good job of explaining that they did a good job of the why, the who, the where. They brought in some really cool characters. Uh, and I really just think that everyone that we already knew was a little bit better than last season. Um, I've already said a bunch of times that I loved President Rillick. And I think that pretty much every character in season four was one that I really appreciated. Which brings me to Ruan Tarka. <laughs> now I know that David's, David's going to give one of his takes where he's almost certainly out on an island on this one. I feel like Tarka was probably the most interesting villain that Discovery has had to date. I think he was a very fascinating, interesting villain. He wasn't somebody that was super cartoonishly evil from the Mirror Universe. Uh, he wasn't the Borg or Control. Uh, he was a, a guy who had his own agenda, and he saw himself as the hero of the story. And a lot of times, those are the best villains, when you see yourself as the hero of the story. Did he go too far? Absolutely he did. He absolutely went way too far in trying to stop the DMA. But at the same time, I kept thinking like, huh, he actually figured out a weapon to stop the DMA. Like He was doing some really hard science in this season. It was like, wow, that is, that is, he is sciencing it up. And then when he and books spoke at the federation uh delegates meeting he, he made the case for himself as did book and he got a lot of those delegates on his side and, and he wasn't doing it in like a manipulative way he was saying hey the dma is going to kill us i can stop it and he definitely had his own agenda but he never brushed off the idea of other people dying he did care about that and i always said that he was he never came off as like a super evil super villain to me he always just came off as a guy who took his ambition a little too far and he he went over the top so i understand that he ended up suffering consequences at the end, and I appreciated the story that they told with him. Uh, it kind of reminded me of my other favorite sci-fi show, Mr. Robot. Uh, the main antagonist of that show, White Rose, uh, they gave her a ton of backstory, and it was very profound and very, very sad. And it 
Tarka's backstory kind of reminded me of that. Here was this guy who had something really tragic happen to him, and he wanted to make it right. So I couldn't totally hate him, even though he went way, way, way too far. So I will say, as far as Trek villains go... I think Tarka is one of the more interesting ones. I'm, I was okay with Tarka in the end as a character. I wasn't rooting for him, but I thought he was a good villain, Heather. Okay, so here's my thing with Tarka. He was a very, he was a very human villain. So he he's, he wasn't the type of villain that you couldn't understand where he was coming from because you could, but that kind of made it worse in a way uh because you could understand entirely where he was coming from but you also knew deep down that it was wrong um and he knew i'm not sure if he knew it was wrong but he didn't care that it was wrong because it was only his motivations that mattered and so yeah he he wasn't cartoonish or he wasn't over the top but he 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 kind of really hurt you in a different way to the point that you're just like, oh, I, I, I just think about it and I'm just like, damn, <laughs> he, he deserved what he got. And it, it, it was a very human actions and, and human reasoning behind what he did. And so that made me hate him more, if that makes any sense. But that just showed how good of a villain he was. Um, yeah, he he was a very human villain, and and that's what made him even more disturbing in my book. I completely agree. I I think that's why I I didn't immediately write him off because you could see that he was very human, and I I I, I was willing to see where things would go for him. And yeah, he, he got what was coming to him. And even he knew that at the end, he knew that he was getting what was coming to him. And that was okay. That was okay. I, I think that, I think that was a good conclusion for him. I think it was the right conclusion. So Heather, I'll ask you, give me your thoughts on season four of Star Trek Discovery. And if you had to give it, say, a rating or a grade, what would you say? I honestly believe that season four of Star Trek Discovery was the best season they have done so far. And I love them all. <laughs> but on honestly, like seasons one through three, like I had episodes that I loved and I had episodes that I might not like so much. Um, I honestly can't think of an episode that I didn't enjoy in season four. I really can't um I, I think each one was unique and special in their own way and they've really come into their own um especially under the the show running of michelle paradise you know they, they've really found their footing as a show and it's turned into something beautiful and incredible and i i 
I'm getting teared up talking about it. I'm not going to lie. What's with all this crying from Star Trek (laughs) Discovery? Everybody's always crying. I don't care. (laughs) It's so damn special. It's Uh, so damn wonderful and so damn good. And every single year and every single season, I just sit there and not think I could love this show anymore. And it just blows it out of the park. Like, I I, I can't give A with an infinity pluses next to it if i were to give it a letter grade it's just it's really something beautiful i agree with everything you just said because i was measuring this season up against season three which i believe i gave an a minus or a b plus because i do remember there were maybe one or two episodes in season three where i was like "Eh, i didn't love that But with this episode, with this season, yeah, I agree. The entire season was really outstanding. Uh, I talked about how much I loved Doug Jones's performance in season three. And with season four, I could not get enough of Wilson Cruz and David Ajala and Chela Horsdahl, who played President Rillick. Just the acting in this season was so high level. It really felt like I was watching an acting masterclass from so many people on this show. It was just really exceptional. The performances just across the board. Uh, we got more of the bridge crew. We got some with Awosakun. We got some with Reese. We got something with Detmer. Uh, we got to see more with Gray and Adira, who remember, not my two favorite characters in season three. I didn't exactly love them. But in season four, I was more than happy to see them. See them both. And I really feel like Star Trek Discovery has improved every season. And I think that season four is no exception. I think that this entire season was start to finish quality television. Quality science fiction, quality television. I did not miss a single second of this season. Uh, not just for the sake of this podcast, not just for the sake of being in the community, if you will, but I really enjoyed the hell out of this show. And I agree with Heather. This was the best season of Star Trek Discovery so far. For a show that has improved every season, I feel like the sky's the limit. Uh, It really is. And just, uh, I've been trying to thank as many of the cast and crew and actors individually for this season because I really felt like it was absolutely outstanding. This Star Trek Discovery Season 4, I think, is going to be regarded as one of the better seasons of Star Trek television that we're going to be talking about for a long, long time. Okay. Can we talk about the cameo now? <laughs> I almost I almost completely forgot about it. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about the cameo. So, at the end of the season finale... The crew of the Discovery was met with some news that various other worlds are looking to rejoin the Federation, including United Earth. And as United Earth was coming to talk with President Rillick about rejoining the Federation, the president of United Earth, 
landed, and met the crew of the Discovery and President Rillick. And the President of Earth was played by none other than former former Georgia House representative and voting rights activist Stacey Abrams. (laughs) That was so amazing. Heather, I'll tell you right now, when I saw Stacey Abrams, I totally broke down. I absolutely 100% started to cry because what a hell of a cameo just just a fantastic cameo and that that's what i mean when i say the people making star trek discovery they really really get it they get that star trek is always about more than just spaceships and aliens it is about so much more than that and it always has been and Given that Stacey Abrams herself was a massive Trekkie, it just, when I saw her and then I remembered that, oh yeah, she talked about Star Trek a lot and how much she loved Star Trek. The same way Cory Booker talked about how much he loved Star Trek. And then I realized, oh, of course she would have a cameo. Of course they would invite her. And yeah, just, I thought it was wonderful. That's when I cried, everybody. And and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I absolutely cried when I saw Stacey Abrams as president of the United Earth. I I mean, I cried too. And then you kind of warned me beforehand that a cameo was coming, but you didn't tell me who. And I watched it and, and I just, as, as soon as I saw her walk out of that shuttle, like I burst into tears. I mean, that is so meaningful and... <laughs> Just to not only bring her onto the show to do a cameo, but in a role like that, it's it's so wonderful and beautiful and embraces everything that she as a fan loves about Star Trek and everything that we love about Star Trek. And it, 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 it was like, it, it's words cannot describe how important that moment was. It was, oh my God, I'm crying too much on the podcast today, guys. All this it, crying it, in Star <laughs> Trek now, jeez. There's crying in Star Trek, damn it. This is not a league of our own. There is totally crying in Star Trek. But yeah, it, it, it was an incredibly wonderful special moment and yeah it really does go to show that the people who make this show really care about not only the star trek universe in general but about the fans who love and appreciate star trek to go through the steps to get her on the show in 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 a spot like this it was really wonderful what can you say, man? What what, what can you really say? <laughs> like, I just, and not only that, just seeing, and since there's crying in Star Trek and there's swearing in Star Trek, <laughs> I'm just going to say this and you can take it however you want. On behalf of the Promenade Merchants podcast, fuck Ted Cruz. Fuck Ted Cruz. <laughs> oh, man. Can't wait for season five. Cannot wait for season five. So Star Trek Picard. Let, let's talk. <laughs> I might be crying even more now. <laughs> we we got to talk about Star Trek Picard. Don't, don't cry too talk much. About Star Trek Picard. I got plenty of tears. It's all good. Okay. 
Um, is it just me or is this season of Star Trek Picard? It's got some more funny moments than than I remember in season one. Because I, I remember that when in the most recent episode, Assimilation, where they were planning to transport to Los Angeles and get close to the tower, and there they had a transporter malfunction where they couldn't quite get a good signal, Rafi transported okay, but she ran into some dude that tried to mug her. Seven transported okay, but ran into a kid, and that seemed to go okay. But then Rios, he had himself a a cartoon tumble, flop, and fall down. And I don't know why, I just thought that th- there were some antics on this episode, assimilation, that were very entertaining and very, very funny. But they managed to turn it around and turn it back into some intense drama where there were some stakes. Um... I'm liking this season more than I thought I would, Heather. So far, so good. Uh, you know, I definitely agree. Uh, season two of Picard has come out swinging for the fences, and I have just been blown away by these first three episodes. Um, I, I'm really invested in the story and what they're doing. Um, I'm really invested in all of the characters and they each have their own, it, it, they, they each have their own stakes kind of that they're working towards and their own plot line. And, uh, yeah, the, and you know, you're right. There, there's been a good, and you know, I think there were some humor moments in season one of Picard, but one thing, um, that Terry Metzoulis, who took over as the showrunner, for season two and three of Picard. One thing it seems like he's brought is more balance between the humor and the uh, darker and harder tones of the show. So it feels like a more balanced show. It doesn't feel like one minute there's humor and the next minute there's not. It, it, it's kind of more blended together in, in the, the story that they've written for this season, I think. So I am absolutely, I, I've, I've been blown away. I really have the first three episodes and I did not expect to be, I'm going to be very honest. I, I did not expect to be as excited and as invested as I am right now in the show. So I really cannot wait to see what happens next. Um, I can't wait to see what's happening with Gerardi and the board queen because there's something really interesting going on there. Um, I can't wait to see Seven call Rafi your girlfriend more, because <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> um, I can't wait to see what's going on with Rios and his doctor friend that he connected with in the last episode. And I really can't wait to understand what's going on with Q and Picard and how they really ended up in this alternate timeline. So I'm really invested. And and, and it's it's a fun ride so far. I'm really enjoying Chris Rios this season. Uh, I said in season one that I think that there's a ton of potential with him. And I think that there's a lot you can do with him. And I think already they've shown 
uh, one, just how talented an actor Santiago Cabrera is and just how much you can do with Chris Rios as a character. One minute he's the captain of the Stargazer. The next minute he's back in the 21st century helping a doctor deal with an immigration raid. Uh, the dude seems to have just the wherewithal and a toolkit that he can pretty much find his way out of any situation. And especially being bilingual, that that definitely helped. Uh, I yeah. think that they saw that that was an asset that Santiago Cabrera had, and they're implementing it into the story of this season in a way that makes sense. And I'm looking at this part of the, the plot of the season so far, and at first I was going to say, Ugh, this reminds me a little bit of the one with the whales, where they're going to try and take them going back into the past and go full wacky comedy with it where they're they're lost in time and they've got to get back but now they're doing something where there's a little bit of danger and we don't know if rios is going to be okay or how he's going to get out of this run-in with immigration (laughs) it's it's great but it's also so dumb uh all of the things you said about seven and rafi all of those things and Spoiler, what are we going to do about the Elnor situation? I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, and I saw a lot of comments online that, you know, that really struck people in a really hard way, um, watching him die. I would like to hope that if they do successfully reset the timeline in the past, it will bring Elnor back. I'd like to hope that. But it's it's one of those things. I think they're they're kind of gonna leave that open ended um, for the time being. So they did not completely clarify that that would happen, and it it, it leaves some emotional stakes there, especially for someone like Rafi who was extremely close to him. Uh, someone like Seven who is seeing the impact that that's having on Rafi and trying to help her through it. Um, and, you know, I, I also saw some comments where, you know, they, they thought, like, uh, Rios and Picard did not take it as seriously as Rafi and Seven did. Um, I think that's an interesting example of how women and men display emotions where uh, characters like Rafi and Seven are going to be more emotional about losing someone close to them than the male characters like Rios and Picard would. So I don't think it's an indictment against their character, but I think it's a wonderful example of how uh, the two different genders express emotions differently. When I saw Rafi after Elnor died and the way she lashed out at Picard uh, with what she said, sharp disappointment in leadership. That was very genuine. And I have said since the show began that along with Rios, uh, Rafi and Michelle Hurd have been the standouts of this show for me. 
because she is so good at displaying these very raw, very intense emotions. And Rafi is a very troubled character. And she has a lot of emotional weight on her shoulder. She's been through a lot. And she obviously had uh, something of a maternal instinct with Elmore. And that really, really hit her especially hard. And I, I think that her reaction was... It, it made sense to me. It completely made sense. And... I think that Michelle Hurd is just really doing a phenomenal job so far. Well, you know, it absolutely made sense. And I was like, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but stay with me. I was like fist pumping that moment because that was the reaction and lash out that I have wanted Rafi to have at Picard for an entire season and two episodes. Okay. <laughs> Because I feel like Rafi deserved to lash out Picard in season one after everything that he put her through. And so finally, after an entire season and everything they went through in that season, we get to a moment where she just cannot hold it in anymore and she lashes out. And I loved her for it. She, it was very genuine and Picard needed to hear every single word she said in that instance. And there was nothing wrong with what she said, in the least. Nope. And Picard's got to do better. And I, I imagine some they'll go back to it. They will not leave Elmore's death just lying out there, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get there. We have to get there. And we'll see that more with Picard. Um, so, upcoming business, Heather. We've got to talk about what's upcoming. So, there's this show coming called Star Trek Strange New Worlds. <laughs> you might have heard about it. I don't know what you're talking about, man. So, they are filming this show in Toronto, and there were some pictures of shoots that leaked out. Uh, and it turns out that this was for what will be season two of Strange New Worlds. And some of the photos included actor Paul Wesley, who is best known in The Vampire Diaries. And a few hours after those photos leaked, it was confirmed and announced that Paul Wesley uh, will be in season two of Strange New Worlds playing none other than Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, Wesley himself tweeted out a picture and some very nice words uh, of meeting William Shatner just by coincidence on an airplane, uh, expressing how humbled and excited he is to be a part of Star Trek. And it, it was actually on his part. It was very, very well done. And, and it, it was it was pretty great. And Shatner, to his credit, in a rare moment of grace, William Shatner congratulated paul wesley and seemingly gave him his blessing and yeah we have a james t kirk in season two of strange new worlds yes yes we do okay <laughs> let me go uh light the candles here because i'm gonna 
It's time for my fiery take time. I have zero interest in seeing James T. Kirk in Strange New Worlds. I don't care. I don't want him there. I am not thrilled at the fact they've cast someone in the role. They've cast someone in a big enough name in the role that they could continue on with his own spinoff if they choose to, or whenever Anson decides to leave the show and he could just take over as Kirk. Um, so, yeah, I am not thrilled whatsoever. Um, I just, I get it. Like, yes, you've already brought in Ohura, you've already brought in Chapel, you've already brought in Dr. Mbega, Pike, Spock. Yes, Kirk is the natural evolution of things. But the whole point of this show is to show the crew of the Enterprise before Kirk gets there in TOS. We are not out to remake TOS. I do not want them to be out to remake TOS. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think having Kirk in season two is a distraction. Now, do I think he's going to play a huge role in season two? No, probably not. But it's one of those things that television shows do all the time, which they did with introducing Captain Pike in season two of Discovery, is to judge how the audience reacts to them. So if the audience, like, goes head over heels for having Captain Kirk, like, down the line, we're going to see more of Captain Kirk, okay? And I'm just telling you right now, I am not head over heels I want to see more of the other characters. I want to see more of number one. Um, I appreciate Anson Mount's Pike and want to see more of him. I want to see more of Chapel, of uh, our Noonien Singh uh, descendant slash relative, whatever La'an is. I want to see more of uh, our... uh, Blind Andorian, I'm blanking on his name, but that's okay. And Dr. Mbenga. Yes, I want to see more of Dr. Mbenga. I don't want Kirk to muddy those waters. And I say this with as much respect as possible for fans of the original series and for fans of the character. Um, Because we all know, you know, anyone who listened to this show knows, I am not the one who's crazy excited over Strange New Worlds. Uh, I I will watch it. I will appreciate it. I will probably enjoy it, but I'm not the crazy fan woman who's completely geeking out over Strange New Worlds. So maybe this news isn't for me. I don't know, but I, I'm just, I'm not here for Kirk. My rant's over. Your turn. <laughs> Quite frankly, I don't get it. Wasn't the whole point of Strange New Worlds the fact that we were going to get to see and flesh out Christopher Pike and number one? Wasn't that the point? I I mean, yes, but points can change and get corrupted throughout the, the thought and creative process. So it would not surprise me if things changed down the line. But yes, that was the initial point of it. Right. So... I am wondering, I don't have as strong a reaction to it as really anybody, because my first reaction was just kind of like, oh, why? Why, man? Why? 
don't we already have enough of Captain Kirk? Hasn't he pretty much been expanded upon as much as possible, don't you think? And here is the thing that I was reminded about with Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds started because of fan reaction to these characters. And it appears to me as though the people behind Strange New Worlds are trying to do what I would call Trek fan service turned up to 11. That's kind of what it seems like they're trying to do. They're trying to throw as much Trek fan service and things that people remember about Star Trek as possible into Strange New Worlds. And I don't know if I love that because I was interested in the crew of the Enterprise with Pike and number one and, and Lieutenant Spock and Dr. Mbenga and, and Chapel and, and Cadet Uhura. I was interested in all of those things and I felt like this would do well on its own because it is a part of Star Trek history and a part of the Star Trek franchise that had not been really explored. And I think people were looking forward to it. And now they're kind of falling back on an old trope, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I'm hoping that this will only be a a short amount. Hopefully this won't be like a recurring character or a main character. Maybe this will only be just James Kirk in a one-off. Maybe it'll be a one-off. And if it's a one-off, hey, then fine. Much ado about nothing. We've got two seasons of Strange New Worlds. It's Star Trek. I'm going to watch it. I hope they don't take the idea that it has to involve James Kirk somehow, because that would turn that character into a crutch. And Strange New Worlds, I don't think we'll need that. People are already excited for it. People want it to do well. I don't think that they will. I don't think that the show will fail. But I guess the idea of James Kirk could be a failsafe. And I will say that I said for a while that I wasn't really sure what kind of hype or marketing Star Trek would be doing with Strange New Worlds. <laughs> they're certainly kicking it into high gear now. I, 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 I feel like they're only doing it because they're being forced to. Like, they didn't, it took them how long after the trailer got leaked and it wasn't even the same teaser trailer that they released for strange new worlds. And now the only reason, the only reason they leaked Paul Wesley's involvement and who he was playing was because of set photos getting leaked. So it's, it's one of those things where I, and I honestly do believe they're doing it on purpose because they clearly don't need to market the show themselves because the fan excitement is what's driving all of these leaks, which then once shit gets leaked, then they go, okay, well, it's already out there. We might as well officially do it. They don't have to market this show. The fans are marketing it for them. They don't have to market it. They're saving a shit ton of money on marketing because the fans are doing it for them. So, yeah, I, I, it, it's it's just, I, yeah, 
it, it's a little confusing to some. I, I understand the basis behind it, but it, it's also, I, I think the whole thing's ridiculous, man. I do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm just confused more than anything. I'm just confused. I think Strange New Worlds will be fine. And I think that there is a lot of angst and consternation revolving around this show. But I generally think that it'll probably be fine. But we'll talk about it when it comes out on a future episode of the Promenade Merchants podcast. This was our 47th episode, Heather. And we we talked about a lot. We really had a good heap and help of Star Trek to really get through this time around. It's been fun. We did. We did. Um, you know, we are coming closer to that magic 50 number, and we have some exciting things planned for our 50th episode. But we also have some exciting things planned for our 48th and our 49th episode, because they will fall before and after Star Trek Mission Chicago. So I look forward to talking all about you and I's plans at Chicago on episode 48 when we record next. And and on episode 49, we want to talk about our experience at Mission Chicago. So when we're there, say hey. Say hi. You can follow me and, and all of my antics on Twitter at CallMeDJM. And I'll definitely be tweeting about Mission Chicago when I'm there. You can follow Heather at NerdyGal33. She's she's way better than I am. I'm I'm just kind of a goof. Uh, but we're both really excited for Mission Chicago infinitely, and it's going to be a good time. But in but until then, thank you for listening to the Promenade Merchants podcast. And until next time, live long and censors. <laughs> <laughs>